The Tennis Gambling Podcast and the Sports Game Podcast in is brought to you by Bet365. Bet365 is offering new users a $1,000 risk-free bet. Sign up today at sportsgamepodcast.com slash bet365. We're also brought to you by Hall of Fame Bets, the sports betting research platform for parlays, player props, and game lines. Download the Hall of Fame Bets app or visit hofbets.com. Use code SGPN to get 50% off your first month and start making smarter bets today. We're also brought to you by GameTime. GameTime has the last minute tickets and the lowest price guaranteed. Use promo code CFBX for $20 off your first purchase. Welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast here on the Sports Game Podcast Network. It's currently early Saturday morning, November 18th, and I'm your host, always, Scott Rachel, once again, going solo for this pod. Been a while. Sorry, it's been a bit of a longer time than expected, but I was pretty busy throughout the course of the week, so I did not have the time to record an episode. Either way, point is now we are officially back because it is semifinal time in the ATP Tour Finals in Turin. So we're going to preview the two semifinal matches taking place in, well, one in the morning Eastern time and one in the afternoon. Two really good matches, though. So we ended up getting Sinner against Medvedev, and we got Alcaraz against Djokovic. We hit the jackpot. We got the exact matches that we wanted, and as a result, definitely should be a great day of tennis for fans and even for really just anybody who loves competition. You don't even have to be a tennis fan. You really should tune into Alcaraz Djokovic no matter what your plans are for college football. Try to set a TV aside, but that's must-watch TV every time they face off against each other. We just saw them face off in Cincinnati a couple months ago, and that was probably the best three-set match ever played. So we have seen some all-time clashes between Djokovic and Alcaraz, and hopefully we'll see another one on Saturday afternoon. But before we get into any of the actual previews for those two semifinal matches, do want to recap what happened in the last episode back in the first day of the tournament. We ended up splitting. We hit the lock, though. We did have Rune plus the four and a half games against Djokovic. He did lose in three sets, but he covered. Rune always gives Djokovic problems. He doesn't win that often, but stylistically, his game's pretty similar to Djokovic's, and Djokovic has been known in this particular event to win without dominating, and it's really been the story of his path to the semifinals up to this point. But Rune got the job done despite losing, as he ended up covering the four and a half. For the dog, ended up losing with Tsitsipas and Sinner over two and a half sets. Sinner kind of buried him, no way around it. Tsitsipas didn't get a break point in the entire match, and Sinner's serve was really just dominant. Tsitsipas had a decent, I'd say, performance serving, but it didn't matter. Because once again, if you don't get any break points, you're not going to win. And that's what happened is he lost 6-4, 6-4. So point is Tsitsipas let us down, but Rune did prevent us from getting swept and with the lock. So it could have been worse. As for the actual future picks, not great. Because we took some bold stances and those didn't work out. Had some chances, though. We had Medvedev to win the group, and unfortunately he lost Alcaraz on Friday. And as a result, he finished in second place. We also took a lean on Tsitsipas, which... I'm actually not sure if that got voided or not because he ended up quitting mid-tournament. I'm assuming it did. Some books probably did give you a refund, even though Tsitsipas had no chance to actually win the group since he lost his first two matches. But I am curious if any books refunded that. I didn't actually look into that. But the point is we did have Tsitsipas to advance, and we thought that it was a decent spot to potentially... I don't want to say fade Sinner, but we thought that his price was a little bit steep, and apparently it was not steep enough because Sinner was fantastic as he won the group altogether. But as for our outrights, we gave out two players to win the entire thing. They are still alive. We have Djokovic and we have Medvedev, so we are going to see what happens. Hopefully, at least one of them advances into the final. But as for everything else that happened during the week, 
Not really much to talk about except for two things that I, that I feel like it's worth mentioning. One is going to be the obvious elephant in the room, which is Sitsipas's injury. And a lot of people were mad at Sitsipas for showing up to an event that he was injured for allegedly beforehand and basically wasting a spot because that spot could have gone to her catch and her catch filled in for that final match against Djokovic because Sitsipas was not able to participate. Now, I feel like you can make an argument either way here. Because on one hand, it is an honor to actually qualify for the ATP Finals. And the fact that you are officially a member of the top eight by season's end, and the fact that you are allowed to participate for the best of the best title. I know it's two out of three Grand Slams are more important, but you get my point. You have a chance to compete for the most important non-Grand Slam title of the year against the best of your peers. I understand why Sissy Paz would want to participate. Now, in the first match, he simply put, wasn't that good. I thought he was fine, health-wise. It just seemed like Sinner's serve and firepower was too much to handle on the fast courts in Turin. But then you saw the Rune match, and he had a couple of break points in the first game, didn't convert, and then he quit about two games later because he was down 2-1 at the time and just said, no Moss, I can't go on. And that was all she wrote. So Sissy Paz, I can understand why people might have been mad in the Rune match if he was injured beforehand because they have reserves, they have backups available, so there really are no walkovers at all. There would be a backup in Sitsipas's place, which eventually we saw in that Djokovic match the, about a day or two later. But the point I'm trying to make is that I don't have an issue with Sitsipas showing up in the first place because it's an honor to actually be at that event. The problem was if he was injured against Rune, or I should say before the Rune match, and he went in knowing that he was physically compromised, then do I think he should have pulled out before the match? I don't know, because a lot of these guys are extremely competitive. That's how they got to the top of their sport. And you can make an argument that in the final event that they're going to be in this season, because none of these guys are going to be in the next-gen finals in about a week or so, then you can make an argument, what does Sitsipas have to lose? He's going to try to see if, he gets, if his body can handle it. If not, then he'll leave, and then he'll just end up going home. But if he can, then maybe he'll win. So I don't really have an issue with Sitsipas playing. The only issue you can really think of is, once again, if he knew that he was not going to be able to complete the match against Rune, then he shouldn't have bothered. I don't think it was that bad. I think Sitsipas was probably feeling less than 100% but he thought he could get through the match, and then he maybe aggravated it early in that match against Rune and decided, I can't handle it anymore, and he ended up quitting. So I'm going to kind of come to Sitsipas's defense here because I do think, once again, when you are at the top of your sport, you've had a really bad year like Sitsipas has. feels like ages ago that Sitsipas actually made the uh, Australian Open final, and ever since then, his season went downhill, the point is, he might have wanted to end the season on a high note, and he thought that he can get through it physically. He couldn't, and now people were kind of booing him or calling him uh, just a clown for actually, you know, doing that. But it is what it is, you know? He thought he could get through it. He ended up not being able to, and he had to quit. But luckily, they do have the reserve spot in place. So you had her catch play against Djokovic instead of having a free walkover, which was a fun match as Djokovic won in three. So the point is, I do think looking at the Paz situation, I don't think it's really that big of a deal because he was already, in my opinion, he was going to lose to Rune anyway. I think Paz was in good form. Rune has kind of figured it out a little bit recently. So I think he would have probably lost anyway, but I, I feel like it's a lot of it's based on uh, Paz's reputation because a lot of people don't like him anyway, which played a factor it didn't really bother me. I really didn't care. He was injured. He thought he could play. He couldn't do it. Whatever. That's kind of how I view it. But anyway, uh, moving on to the second point of business, which is going to be a brief 
I don't want to say rant, but it's a bit of a question uh, for the tournament organizers, mostly involved in the schedule, particularly yesterday, because I don't understand what the hell the the schedule was trying to accomplish. So if you were not aware of the schedule yesterday, you had an important matchup between Alcaraz and Medvedev. Medvedev was trying to win the group. If he did, then Alcaraz would have been eliminated because Varev ended up winning. But the point is, that match determined all the implications for the entire day, where you ended up seeing Alcaraz win in straight sets, which meant before Zverev and Rublev played, Rublev got eliminated already because he lost the first two matches, so he's kind of irrelevant for the sake of this rant. But I have to at least talk about Zverev, because he beat Alcaraz in the first match of the tournament, and then after that he ended up losing to uh, Medvedev. But you figure, okay, this is going to be a pretty fun day of tennis where both matches should matter, but it didn't matter because since Alcaraz won in straight sets, the group was over. Zverev got eliminated before he even stepped foot on the court. So you had the late match between Zverev and Rublev with all the paying fans mean absolutely nothing, which I just thought was insanely poor judgment by the tournament organizers. If there's a possibility that one of the two matches is not going to matter and the other match is automatically going to matter, you have to put the other match, the most important one, last, because that way the Zverev-Rublev match still matters if you have Medvedev after. And I just felt like it was a terribly scheduled uh, day of of tennis because one of the matches, which was supposed to be the primetime match over there, didn't matter because both guys were eliminated. And I just thought it was a really dumb uh, way of doing it. And maybe they didn't think that far ahead, or maybe they just wanted to have Zverev in the late stage against Rublev. But on principle, if I told you that the NFL or the NHL had two, or maybe the NBA, had two important games. But one of those games would not matter if something else happened in the first game. You're probably going to put that uh, that you know game that might not matter first, because that way you are maximizing the stakes available for that said event. They didn't do that for this tournament. So I just thought it was stupid, because you're sitting around, you know, hoping that this Zverev match would matter, and it didn't. And it just felt like it was a massive waste of time. I don't think anybody who was in the venue or who was watching it on TV really felt a strong desire to tune in in the middle of the afternoon to watch that match when they knew for a fact that whoever won the match wasn't advancing anyway. So unless you were a fan of Rublev or Zverev or maybe you had money on the match, there was really no point of even watching it because neither guy was playing for anything. Now, luckily, both guys tried. Rublev got buried the entire tournament, but Zverev went 2-1, and one, ended up losing in the group stage. But I do feel a bit bad for the fans and for Rublev and Zverev. Not really Rublev because he was eliminated anyway, but I feel bad for Zverev because he just showed up on court after he got eliminated and was told, oh, try to win this anyway, which I just thought was really poor execution by the tournament directors and organizers. So that was my brief rant. Next time you have an event like that in the round robin stage, make sure you put the least important match first, because that way it automatically is going to matter because the other scenarios that are going to be generated from the later match are not going to be revealed until hours after that first match takes place. That was my main rant I wanted to mention because I thought that that scheduling was really dumb, and that's why I wanted to bring it up. But anyway, time to get into the moment of truth, the uh, previews for the two semifinal matches on Saturday. We're going to start off with the early match, which is going to be Sinner and Medvedev. No offense to Sinner. I know that you are the home country guy with Italy. The crowd's been in tremendous support for Sinner. You should be the opening match. You have Djokovic Alcaraz in the slate. 
you better put that late. So, Sinner, no offense, you should be the early match. You're the appetizer, and Alcaraz and Djokovic are the main course. They're the entree. So, to go through the actual betting odds for this matchup against Medvedev, Sinner's a favorite at minus 145. Medvedev is around plus 125. Game spread, Sinner minus 1.5 is minus 115. Medvedev plus 1.5 is minus 105. Over-under is around 23.5. Totals for both matches are basically the same. 23.5 is a fault line. And minus 110 on both sides, you can get 22 and a half at minus 145. If you want to take center to win in straight sets, you can get that at plus 180. Maybe to win in straight sets is plus 305. Match to go three sets is plus 120. So Medvedev so far in his career has owned center as he is six and zero. He was six and zero. However, he is now six and two. So you have center who was zero six against this guy and then won back-to-back finals earlier this year in Beijing and Vienna. So Sinner kind of flipped the script there on the head-to-head, and it seems like some momentum might be brewing for him in this matchup. And I do think that Sinner having the home crowd advantage is going to help. Medvedev did have a chance to potentially change his matchup if he ended up winning the match on Friday against Alcaraz. You can argue maybe... He tanked it. I don't think he did. I just think Alcaraz outplayed him. But the argument is pretty logical that if you lose, you play center instead of Alcaraz or Djokovic, and you let those two guys kill each other on the other side of the bracket. So you can argue, even though Medvedev did lose, it actually worked out better for him because he got the easier matchup. I'm not saying center is an easy player by any means to face off against, but I think we'd all agree you'd rather face off against center than Alcaraz and Dash or Medvedev or, or and Dash or uh, Djokovic, since Sinner was also kind of banged up throughout the course of this event. He's been fine. He has kind of hunched over a bit with the leg, so we are going to keep an eye on that. But they have faced off four times this year in the finals of an event. They faced off in Rotterdam, Medvedev won in three. Faced off in Miami, Medvedev won in two, and then Sinner won the last two matches in two in Beijing and in three in Vienna. But I do think it makes sense Sinner's favored here. Do I think one forty-five is a fair line? That does feel a bit steep to me. I think it should be closer to like minus 125 if I had to price it myself. Medvedev is still a difficult player to play against. Sinner is not a great volleyer. He's gotten better at it, and the serve has definitely been the story for him in this event, as he was able to beat Djokovic for the first time in his career in the group stage. But I do think that Medvedev is going to make this match interesting. I don't think he gets curb stomped. I think this match will be very close. I'm going to lean to the over. I do think Sinner is going to win. I just think the crowd push is going to be too much for Medvedev to overcome. So I do think Sinner wins. Do I expect to go to a breaker at some point? Probably. Does it go to three sets? Probably. But I'm going to link to the over, and I do think Sinner eventually gets the job done at the minus 145 price. I don't really like the price, but I think he's going to win, and I do think I have to make that distinction. But I will not take him to win in straight sets at plus 180. I think Medvedev will end up getting on the board at some point in this match. And moving on to the next match, you have Djokovic against Alcaraz, which is an absolute treat for tennis fans because there was a chance Djokovic was not going to qualify for the semifinals because he did lose a match to center. And it was possible for Djokovic to not qualify if he lost to catch or if Rune beat center. But luckily for Djokovic, uh, you ended up seeing Rune lose in three, which got Djokovic the bid into the semifinals. Now, these two players are tied 2-2, and they faced off three times this year. So they faced off in the French Open, which you remember as the cramp match where Alcaraz was having, in the middle of a war, it was going to be basically an all-timer on uh, the French o- in the French Open, Roland Garros, and then Alcaraz started cramping, 
and he won two games in the final two sets combined. So that was kind of a dud at the end, but Djokovic won that one, eventually won the entire tournament at the French Open. They faced off in the final of Wimbledon, where Alcaraz ended up coming back from a set down, ended up winning in the fifth set. That's actually the match that kept Djokovic from a calendar grand slam. Second time in his career, Djokovic has been one match away from winning the calendar grand slam, and he fell short. So Djokovic ended up losing that one, but he got revenge in Cincinnati in what I think was the greatest three-set match ever played. Ended up being an absolute marathon, one of the longest matches of all time for three-setters. I believe it was the longest match of all time for a three-setter. But Djokovic won 5-7-7-6-7-6. It was must-watch television. It was all-time content. And hopefully we get another war between these two titans in the Saturday afternoon slate. So for the odds, Djokovic is favored. Same exact price as Sinner, as he's minus 145. Uh, Alcaraz is plus 125. As for the game spread, Djokovic is minus 2 at even money. Alcaraz plus 2 is minus 120. Over-under, like the first match, is 23.5. However, the over is minus 105 instead of minus 110, and the under is minus 115. As for the over-alternate numbers, you have 22.5 at minus 145 on the over. The under is plus 125. Match to go three sets is plus 125, by the way. If you want Djokovic in straight sets, you can get that at uh, currently available at um, plus 175. Alcaraz to win in straight sets is a plus 320. So to go through the path of these players, I forgot to mention the path of Medvedev and Sinner, by the way. Uh, so I'll just do that quickly. Sinner ended up having an undefeated run in the group stage, beat Sitsipas in straight sets, beat Djokovic in a war, and beat Sinner. I mean, in beat uh, Rune in three. So not an easy path, but still Sinner got it done. As for Medvedev, all his matches were more straightforward. Beat Rublev in straight sets, beats Zverev in straight sets, and lost to Alcaraz in straight sets. So that's the recap I forgot to mention before of these two players' path up to the semifinals. As for Alcaraz and Djokovic, they each lost a match in the group stage, which was a bit surprising. Alcaraz losing one was not surprising to me because I actually picked him to not advance out of the group because he was in pretty bad form and he took a month off, so I was questioning how he would look early on, and I was right because he lost his Zverev in the first match, but he turned it around, beat Rublev, and beat Medvedev in order to make it here. As for Djokovic, every match has been a war for the last couple of weeks, with the exception of the final in Paris as he beat Dimitrov in straight sets, but Djokovic has gone to a third set in six of his last seven matches, so a lot of marathons involved for Djokovic, which bodes well for the over. In this event, beat Rune in three, lost a center in an absolute war, and then beat her catch in three. So Djokovic has been fine. He's had some lapses, mostly in the second set, but overall he's been good, and as a result, we should see a very fun match between these two players. But for the sake of the odds, I do think minus 145 is a little bit too large. I think Alcaraz is alive to win this. Now, there were some rumors that before the event, they did have a scrimmage, or I should say a practice set, and I heard rumors Djokovic beat Alcaraz 6-1. I don't know if that's true or not, but I did hear rumors about that. It was also a week ago. So we'll see if Djokovic dominates once again. I see a war. It's very difficult to not take an over when these two get together because in each of the four head-to-head matches, they split the first two sets. So I do think, regardless of surface, you're going to see a marathon where you will end up seeing each guy have moments. You might see a couple of points aside the entire match, and I do think you're going to see a serious marathon that might take three hours. So for me, I'm going to go with the over as my favorite play in this match. It's tough to take an under in what should be a very even war between these players, and I do think that the winner of this matchup personally is going to win the entire thing, if I had to guess. But for me, I do think Djokovic is going to 
Do I think he's going to win, actually? Because I think Alcaraz can get it done here. Djokovic has been pretty vulnerable, and Alcaraz has been very good since the opening match loss to Zverev. But there is a scheduling advantage for Djokovic because he did not play on Friday while Alcaraz did. Now, luckily for Alcaraz, the match was pretty straightforward because he won straight sets, so that might not play a factor. But I wanted to at least bring it up. That is also a factor for Sinner because Medvedev had to play in the matches yesterday while Sinner did not. But I do think for the sake of this matchup, I'm going to simply put lean to the over. I think Djokovic is probably going to win, but if I had to bet it, I would tr- I would just say Djokovic in three uh, because I, I don't think he's going to win in straight sets. I think Alcaraz will win a set, and I do think that Djokovic will eventually wear down Alcaraz to a point where he might win this in a final set tiebreak. But I think for Djokovic, there's really not much value on the minus 145. I'd rather find alternative ways to take Djokovic if I was going to take him to limit the juice, and I do think Djokovic in three is the better option. Let me just quickly see if I could find a price on Djokovic in three. If I had to guess, somewhere in the three to one range, if I had to guess, but let me just quickly see what I can get. Because I do think that regardless of who wins, it's going to be an epic war. I don't really see this match turning into a dud at all. I think it's going to be exactly what everybody expects and maybe more. So for me, if you want to take Djokovic to win in three, you can get that at plus 280, actually. Shop around, maybe you can find a better price, but I do think 280 is a decent enough price for me to take. So give me that if I had to go with a long shot play in this match. But I like the over in sets, I like the over in games, and that's going to wrap it up for my thoughts on this matchup. That's going to wrap it up for the actual picks and previews for the semifinal matches in the ATP Finals in Turin. Now it's time for the Lock and Dog picks, but before we get into any of that, can I have a quick word from our sponsor. We're brought to you by Bet365. Bet365 is the world's favorite sports book, trusted by over 88 million players worldwide. Props, sides, totals, live betting, Bet365 has you covered. And if you like boosts, you're going to love Bet365 because they have a 30% profit boost on your NFL same-game parlay. Plus, they even have an early payout offer if your team goes up 17 points. Once again, if your team's up 17 points, you win automatically. Full payout, you don't have to sweat out the rest of the game. So if there's a massive choke job, that is no longer your problem. Sign up today and choose from two bonus offers, either a $1,000 no-sweat bet or get or bet $5 and get $150 in bonus bets. Just head to sportscampodcast.com slash bet365, sportscampodcast.com slash bet365, or use the sign-up link in our show bio. Problem gambling? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. We're also brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Underdog Fantasy has a way to play alongside your favorite fantasy players all season long. NFL, NBA, NHL, college basketball, and college football. Simply pick higher or lower on your favorite players' fantasy stats and cash in. So watch along, make your picks, and maybe make a little money over on Underdog's mobile app or website, underdogfantasy.com. When you sign up, remember to use the promo code SGPN. Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. So Underdog Fantasy, promo code SGPN. P-N. We're also brought to you by Game Time. I don't know about all of you, but I personally love attending sporting events in person. And it used to be very annoying to actually find a ticketing provider that I could trust until I found Game Time. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. With killer last-minute deals and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you're going to have. My favorite feature on the app is definitely the Images of Seat Views feature, and I'm sure a lot of us can exper- have experienced this before. Maybe you bought a ticket, spent some money, you sat down expecting to have a great view of the atmosphere, and suddenly your view is obstructed, and you realize that you wasted money because you can't even see what you, what you uh, paid to see. That's not going to be an issue with game time because they will show you an exact look of the view you would be having 
if you had purchased said ticket before you end up spending your hard-earned money. Game Time is also the place for last-minute ticket deals. Forget plenty months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. And the Game Time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. Sanctics without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app. Create an account and use code CFBX for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code CFBX for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. We're also brought to you by Hall of Fame Bets. Win bigger, more betting smarter at the NFL season with Hall of Fame Bets, the sports betting analytics platform for parlays, player props, and game lines. Research every NFL, NBA, MLB, and soccer bet with historical stats and data. Enter any parlay idea into Hall of Fame Bets' revolutionary par- uh, parlay optimizer tool to get hit rates broken down by leg, as well as an expected probability for the entire parlay. Sort all players by hit rate for any bet to learn which players are hot and which picks have value. Stop betting in the dark and join over 30,000 users researching with Hall of Fame bets to craft more intelligent, data-driven parlays. Download the Hall of Fame bets app or visit hofbets.com or use code SGPN to get 50% off your first month. Start Start researching, start winning with Hall of Fame bets. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished previewing the two semifinal matches in the ATP Finals in Turin. Now it's time for the lock and all picks for the show. Starting off with the lock, I am going to go back to the first match between Medvedev and Sinner, and I am going to go with Sinner team total over 12 and a half games at minus 140. Simply put, I see a war between these players, and I think Sinner is likely to win it, but I do think it's going to be close. Now, Sinner has won the last two meetings, but there have been a lot of competitive sets as Sinner has won the last two matches with three tie breaks involved. He won all three breakers, but the point is you have seen in each of the last four head-to-head meetings at least one 7-5 set. So we know, of course, with 12 and a half games, a couple ways to get there. If Sinner does win a set, either 7-5 or 7-6, then you're in great shape because he just needs to win one more set or three games minimum in the next two sets in order to go over the number. So the point is, Sinner, I do think, can get there in a couple of ways. I see a three-set marathon, but I do think Sinner can potentially win in a similar scoreline to the Beijing match where he won 7-6-7-6. This way, if Sinner does win a long set, which I'm expecting at least one of in this match, he can still get it done even if he loses the match in three. But I do think that if you're going to be looking at what should be a three-set matchup or a competitive two-set matchup, taking the favorite at minus 140 to go over 12 and a half games in the team total is the safer way of picking Sinner in the spot. So for me, I'm going to go with Sinner, team total over 12 and a half games at minus 140 as my lock. For my dog, simply put, give me the over in sets between Alcaraz and Djokovic. I'm going to go with the over two and a half because I feel like I have to, because once again, in all four of the head-to-head matchups, you saw them split the first two sets. So I don't exactly expect to see anything change in this particular matchup. Both guys have had moments on this court, but I do think that you're going to see Djokovic look great at times, Alcaraz look great at times. The level that these two are brought to when they face off against each other is all-time stuff. And I simply put, think you are going to end up seeing a very, very even affair, which should end up resulting in a very unpredictable match. And I do think that even though I'm leaning Djokovic to win it, that's more based on reputation. If Alcaraz won it, would I be shocked? No. But I do think that looking at how this match should unfold, three sets makes a lot of sense. Djokovic has been involved in a bunch of three-set matches recently. In fact, if you want to actually go through Djokovic's recent matchups, including the title run in Paris, Djokovic has gone to three sets in six of his last seven matches. 
and it's a plus 125. I like the value a lot. I think that there is definitely a very strong probability that this match does go to three. If you want to play it safe, you can take the 22 and a half. I thought about doubling down, actually, with the over 22 and a half games as my lock and the over two and a half sets as my dog, but that's a little bit too correlated for me, and I think I would rather... Uh, divide up the love amongst both matches. So I'm going to go with the over two and a half sets here at plus money because I do think history should repeat itself and you should get a very competitive three set matchup in this battle. So for me, I'm going to go with my lock being center, team total over 12 and a half games at minus 140, and my dog will be on Djokovic and Alcaraz over two and a half sets at plus 125. That's going to wrap it up for this episode of the 10 Scaling Podcast. A reminder, we're back once again tomorrow or later on Saturday to cover the final match in the ATP Finals. A reminder, though, that's not going to be the end of the calendar year. We still have the next-gen finals, which we are going to cover as well, and that will be the final tournament of the year. So we're going to do our farewells during the next-gen last episode, and then we'll be off for about a month or two. But the point is, we will be back tomorrow for the ATP Finals, and until then, good luck to all of you. And I should say the finals of the ATP finals. But until then, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.